this week. Garrett Motion opts for term lenders dip while others object. Oasis Petroleum files for Chapter 11. Revlon announces exchange offer for 2021 notes. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. And I'm Raksha Manjana. Later, LATAM team lead Kyle Wusu will update us on the Brazilian airlines. It's Sunday, October 4th. In an effort to address objections raised at the first day hearing, the Garrett Motion debtors on Monday filed an amended proposed dip credit agreement with term lenders while rejecting junior dip offers from note holders, Oak Tree, and Central Bridge. The debtors' investment banker said in a declaration in support of the revised dip that the term lenders' proposal is superior in part because it preserves the $2.1 billion stocking horse bid from KPS Capital. The debtors also indicated that Centerbridge has expressed interest in submitting a competing bid. According to a declaration by CFO Sean Deason, the debtors' liquidity position has worsened since the petition date. And, quote, the company must now maintain a minimum of at least $150 million in cash on hand to avoid disruptions to its operations. Adding, even the minimum cash position of $150 million is a floor and not enough to protect operations, permit the company to maintain customer confidence in sourcing business, and appropriately address unforeseen decreases in revenue that could result at any time from an industry shutdown or disruption from a second wave of COVID-19, similar to the crisis experienced in the second quarter of 2020. The amended dip failed to placate the objectors. On Tuesday, asbestos sorry. On Tuesday, asbestos indemnification claimant Honeywell International and a group of shareholders filed objections to the revised term lender dip. The objectors questioned the debtors' immediate need for dip financing, arguing that the dip budget shows that the debtors would have sufficient cash through at least October. According to Honeywell and the shareholders, the debtors' alleged liquidity crisis was of their own making and resulted from their decision not to draw down on the $136 million available under their revolving credit agreement prior to the petition date. The objectors also questioned the debtors' dip marketing process. The shareholders indicated that they would be making their own competing dip proposal shortly. The objectors request that the dip motion be denied or, in the case of Honeywell, adjourned or denied to give the parties more time to explore alternative financing options. Oasis Petroleum, the Houston-based ENP with operations in the Permian and Williston Basins, filed for Chapter 11 on Wednesday morning with a, quote, straddle prepackaged plan and RSA supported by 97% of prepetition RBL lenders and holders of 52% of unsecured notes. The debtors who had faced a borrowing-based redetermination attributed the filing to the volatility of crude oil prices resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic and Russia-OPEC price war exacerbated by the reduction of its borrowing base in April. The debtors obtain a $450 million priming dip facility from RBL lenders that includes $150 million in new money and $300 million in roll-up of prepetition RBL debt. The debtors started soliciting votes on their proposed plan on September 29th and aimed to confirm the plan within 45 days. Under the plan in the RSA, the RBL lenders would provide a senior secured exit facility of up to $1.5 billion, with an initial borrowing base of up to $575 million. The exit RBL would refinance the dip facility and any pre-petition RBL debt remaining on the effective date, and the debtors expect to emerge with $340 million outstanding on the exit RBL. 
Note holders would receive 100% of reorganized equity subject to dilution by a management incentive plan of up to 10% of reorganized equity and new four-year warrants of up to 7.5% of reorganized equity that would be issued to shareholders. Judge Marvin Isker on a hearing Wednesday afternoon granted most of the first day relief sought, though he did take issue with the emergency relief sought by the debtors relating to the non-debtor Oasis Midstream Partners, or OMP, which is 67.5% owned by the debtors. Judge Isker specifically balked at approving the debtors' payment of more than $60 million in prepetition amounts due to OMP on, quote, overnight notice. Although the debtors contend that the proposed payments to OMP are critical to avoid operational disruption, Judge Isger said he doubts OMP as a, quote, insider would cease providing services to the debtors if the requested payments are not made immediately. Quote, I don't know why you need a midstream provider more than they need you, the judge remarked. Revlon on Tuesday announced an offer to exchange its $345 million in five and three-quarters senior notes due 2021 for, at the holder's option, up to 32.5 cents on the dollar in cash, or, quote, mixed consideration, consisting in up to 25 cents in cash, 14.5 cents in ABL first and last out term loans, and 21 and three-quarter cents in brand co. second lien term loans. Steve Zellin and Scott Mates of PJT Partners on Wednesday joined Revlon CEO Deborah Perlman and CFO Victoria Dolan for an investor call, where Zellin described the exchange offer as, quote, a strong package of value. He acknowledged the company's unsuccessful exchange offer for the 2021 notes back in July, explaining that feedback from advisors working with note holders was taken into consideration and factored into this, quote, meaningfully improved modified transaction. In conjunction with the proposed exchange, Revlon said in an 8K Tuesday that it had sought to refinance or extend both its 2018 European ABL facility and the unsecured 2019 senior line of credit facility in order to, quote, reinforce its liquidity position to be better able to address the current business and economic environment and prepare for any further potential disruptions to its business and operations as may be brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic or other events. The Promisa Oversight Board disclosed on Wednesday a revised Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment it proposed and a counterproposal by the principal creditor parties to the Commonwealth Plan Support Agreement that both call for a $2 billion increase in cash consideration for general obligation, public buildings authority bondholders and lower caps on maximum annual debt service compared with the existing PSA struck in February. Both proposals, which date back to August, contemplate total cash of $5.984 billion, reflecting a $2 billion increase from the existing PSA. The blended GOPBA recovery under the Oversight Board's proposal, based on claims net of original issue discount, or OID, would range from 52.7% to 58.4%, while the PSA creditor's proposal contemplates a blended recovery based on such claims net of OID at 73.6%. The total consideration under the Oversight Board's proposal includes bonds in an amount between $4.993 billion and $5.22 billion, while the PSA creditor's counterproposal contemplates $7.406 billion of bonds and $611 million of, quote, SUT equity. The Oversight Board says it continues to negotiate with creditors holding in excess of $9 billion of the Commonwealth's debt 
an effort to enable Puerto Rico to exit the Title III bankruptcy proceedings as soon as reasonably possible with an agreement to restructure Puerto Rico's debt to a sustainable level. The Oversight Board said it will update the Title III court in late October about the status of the negotiations. Following the disclosure by the Oversight Board of the Cleansing Materials, the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors in the Title III Cases filed a motion Thursday evening for reconsideration of Judge Laura Taylor Swain's September 17th order, denying the UCC's motion to lift the court's administrative stay applicable to the committee's objection to the priority of the Gobon claims. Judge Swain denied the motion without prejudice and indicated that the stay would remain in place until at least March 2021. The UCC argues that the settlement proposals released by the Oversight Board, quote, reveal for the first time that whatever new agreement the parties may eventually reach on a proposed plan of adjustment will no longer include a settlement of the go-priority dispute. Rather, the Oversight Board has decided to effectively give all value under any proposed plan, at least $10 billion, to the GO and PBA bondholders, which are largely Wall Street distressed hedge funds, which acquired their bonds for a fraction of the value that they now stand to receive, while leaving a mere pittance to other unsecured creditors, including the mainly on-island residents and small businesses that make up the committee's constituency. Other top stories last week were... District Court grants FTC preliminary injunction halting Peabody Arch SPRB JV. McGraw-Hill Education working with Macquarie PJT to explore strategic alternatives. First lien term lenders organized with Gibson Dunn Centerview. C-Drill appoints Stuart Jackson CEO. Next, here's the LATAM team on Brazilian Airlines. Thanks. Brazilian airline Azul announced on September 13th that it received a proposal from Brazilian development bank BNDES. The proposal included simple debentures, stock warrants with a premium and exercise price that it's, that's going to be defined through the offer's book, book building process. BNDES will be the anchor investor and will be able to subscribe for up to 60% of the offer. Banks will provide a firm guarantee for up to 10% of the offer, and the remaining balance must be raised from qualified investors through a public offer. The estimated dilution was 15% based on the closing price of Azul's share on Friday. The stock closed at 14.98 on Friday uh, after the the announcement and it closed at 16.18 on Monday. <clears throat> About 3 days earlier, the airline said that based on its October schedule and most recent booking trends, it is on the way to achieving its year-end recovery targets. Azul's second quarter 2020 presentation called for capacity to reach 60% of the previous year by December. Turning to Lessors, uh, on August 11th, Azul said that it negotiated an adjusted payment schedule, resulting in a reduction of 77% in rental expenses compared with its original payments. The lower monthly release rates are going to be compensated by slightly higher rates, which would start in 2023. Azul said at the beginning of August that for the rest of 2020, it expects to burn about 3 million reais per day, which implies a cash burn for the full year, holding that 3 million constant at around 1.1 billion reais. Azul had uh, 600 million reais of receivables, 1.6 billion reais of cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments at the end of June. Turning now to Goal, 
The company paid down a $350 million obligation under its Delta backstopped term loan B, which was due at the end of August. Goals 7% 2025 bonds were trading around 50 on September 1st and then traded up to the low 60s by September 4th. Currently, the bonds are trading around 70. Gold closed the month of August with 2.1 billion reais of liquidity in cash and receivables after paying down the term loan B. And in August, the company anticipated cash burn of 6 million reais per day, suggesting about a year's worth of liquidity. Gold also has 2.4 billion of deposits and 1.2 billion reais of unencumbered assets. The company expects to end 2020 at 80% of its 2019 domestic capacity. Gold should be finalizing negotiations with its lessors um, around this time. On July 31st, Gold said that over the next 30 to 60 days, it expected to conclude discussions around deferrals, haircuts, and power-by-the-hour agreements, whereby Gold's payments to its lessors would depend on how often it uses its planes. Finally, uh, we have LATAM Airlines, which is not headquartered in Brazil, but does have a significant presence. On September 23rd, Judge James Garrity Jr. granted all of LATAM Airlines' motions, which were before the court, including the debtor's bar date motion. The bar date motion establishes the deadline for parties to submit proofs of claim against the debtors. The date has been set for December 18th. The bar date is important because the debtors can then start the process of properly sizing their claims. Effectively, it's it's not really feasible to start drawing up a plan if you don't know the amount of claims that could potentially be brought forth against you. So once they have that denominator, they can then move forward with uh, coming up with a plan or starting to at least. On September 18th, Judge James Garrity Jr. approved LATAM Airlines' revised dip, which comprises a 1.3 billion tranche A nine and three quarter cash pick toggle and 1.2 billion tranche C LIBOR plus 15% pick and has in uh, an initial scheduled maturity date uh, of 18 months after the close. Under the most recent proposed dip, the 1.3 billion tranche A facility is going to be provided by Oak Tree. Um, Oak Tree is going to assign 175 million to Knighthead and certain other lenders. Cutter, Air- Cutter Airways and Costa Verde will provide 750 million of the 1.2 billion tranche C plus any tranche C backstop commitment. In addition, 250 million will be provided by the Tranche C Knighthead Group lenders, plus any Tranche C backstop commitment. 150 million will be offered to other shareholders and investors, and fully backstopped by the Tranche C initial lenders and the Tranche C Knighthead Group lenders on a pro rata basis. It's also relevant to point out in this case the ad hoc bondholder group. Um, they filed their Rule 2019 statement um, on July 14th, which was an update to the original filed on June 28th. The largest members of that group, uh, according to that statement on July 14th, were um, Consorcio Financiero, Double Line, and VR Global Partners. 
Now, with the airlines anticipating a ramp up of capacity in the coming quarters, uh, we're going to be monitoring their work and capital needs going forward, as that's something that Goals CFO Richard Lark has discussed on several calls, the need for uh, ample liquidity to make sure that the company has a cushion in the event that it needs to increase its working capital uh, to meet the demands needed to ramp up capacity. Colombian airline operator Avianca's lender estimates show the importance of working capital in a, in a recovery scenario. The airline estimates that it will spend about $275 million of working capital from November to June as EBITDA goes from negative $19.5 million to $21.3 million. The Republic of Argentina obtained the requisite consents for its exchange last month. The, Republic, the Republic's new U.S. dollar 2038 bonds are trading in the low 40s, down from around 50, which is where they were trading on September 4th. Argentina's central bank issued new regulations on September 16th to further limit access to foreign currency via local companies amidst weakening foreign exchange reserves. The central bank is requiring local companies with outstanding debt maturing within the next six months to voluntarily restructure and present a refinancing plan within the next 30 days. Adding to the uncertainty, are the negotiations with the IMF regarding Argentina's $44 billion obligation. Argentina's economy minister, Martin Guzman, said in a televised interview with Ambito that a mission from the IMF would arrive in the country next week. Province of Buenos Aires, against this backdrop, is continu- continuing negotiations with its main creditors to restructure its outstanding debt ahead of an October 9th deadline for its bond exchange. Sources have pointed out that the economic and political backdrop in Argentina's largest province are relevant factors which could distinguish PBA's dynamic from those of other provinces. Certain creditors that have been holding the province's bonds are pushing for recovery values in the low 80s at a 10% exit yield. However, sources within the government's administration have said that they were, are reluctant to make an offer even, in, even at the 70s NPV level. The province is led by Axel Kisilov, a former minister of economy under Christina Kirchner's presidency. Province accounts for about 40% of the country's GDP and over 35% of Argentina's voters. PBA's total exports were 23 billion in 2019, accounting for about 35% of the country's total exports. There's a midterm election coming up in October 2021. Sources have speculated, some sources have speculated, that Kisilov and the National Party may be pressured or incentivized to close a deal to to avoid going into open default after the sovereign was able to come to an agreement with its creditors. Turning now to Cordoba, on September 11th, the province put forth a proposal regarding three sets of notes, the 7.125% notes due 2021, the 7.45% notes due 2024, and 7.125% notes due 2027. The proposal would extend the maturity on the 2021 notes by seven years, on the 2024 notes by five years, and on the 2027 notes by three years. The coupons would be lowered 
Um, for example, under the 7.125% 2021 notes, those would be those would pay 1% pick from settlement date to December 10th, 2020, then 1% cash from December 2020 to December 2022, and 5% cash thereafter until maturity. There would be 10 semi-annual equal amortizations commencing under the 2021 notes starting on uh, December 10th, 2023. Five annual equal amortizations for the 2024s commencing September 1st, 2025. And then five annual equal amortizations for the 2027 notes commencing August 1st, 2026. The Cordoba Ad Hoc Group in their counter proposal um, said for the avoidance of doubt um, that their proposal would not impact uh, the 7.45% notes due 2024 and the 7.125% notes due 2027. So right there, that shows you one one gating item. Um, and then uh, under the under the ad hoc group proposal, the 2021 notes would be extended by three years as opposed to the seven years um, that the province is proposing and the 2021 notes would not see their coupon reduced um and the um regarding the amortization schedule uh there would be equal quarterly installments that would commence uh december 10th um 2021 turning to the province of new Cane, um an ad hoc committee of uh, secured bondholders um, on August 14th, um, comprising institutional investors which hold over 25% of the province's 338 million secured um, 8.625% notes due 2028, um, formed uh, and uh, put out a release saying that uh, they, they category categorically reject the unilateral consent solicitation, which was published by the province uh, on August 10th. Um, the, the ad hoc group said that the offer needlessly eviscerates various contractual protections afforded to the secured note holders, including emptying certain reserve accounts established for the benefit of holders and changing modification procedures for the secured notes in order to force secured note holders to accept a potential non-consensual restatement of the notes terms. Holders of the province's 7.5%, 366 million unsecured bonds due 2025 have also formed an ad hoc group ahead of the restructuring that group said the terms of the proposal are an unfair and unilateral attempt by the province to restructure its debt to the detriment of note holders. On September 21st, the province extended the expiration dates uh, for its consent solicitation uh, from September 18th to October 9th. The province had originally extended the expiration date on August 28th uh, to September 18th. Turning to the province of Mendoza, uh, on September 30th, the province announced that 562.1 million or about 
percent of its 590 million eight and three eighth notes due 2024 uh, have been tendered and accepted as part of that exchange offer. And that's the rundown on the Brazilian airlines and the Argentine provinces. Thanks for listening and back to you, New York. Now here's Jim with the week ahead. Well, thank you, Rockshin. Good morning, y'all. I hope it's as pleasant in your neck of this fair land of freedom as it is here on the coast of Texas. And on the subject of which, what a better way for the week to begin on than on Monday, October the 5th, when there are three hearings or billable hour opportunities related to the Sanchez energy matter. Sanchez, of course, being a South Texas fame, there is a hearing and a lien-related litigation hearing in Sanchez itself, and a sale hearing related to Gavilan, the co-operator of the Comanche asset down in the Eagleford. Now, of course, Sanchez, upon emergence from Chapter 11, remonikered itself as Mesquite Energy after the tree that's actually a member of the legume family and whose wood is very popular for smoking brisket, barbacoa, lamb, or duck. So, Sanchez Energy, the name is gone, but the hearings linger on. Tuesday, October 6th, we have Garrett Motion with its continued cash collateral and dip hearing, and omnibus hearings in Chesapeake, High Ridge, and Global Eagle, plus a hearing of some sort in J.C. Penney. Wednesday, October 7th, there's another hearing in J.C. Penney, plus a hearing in Verity, an omnibus in Southland Royalty, and another hearing in Chesapeake. Thursday, October 8th, it's quietish with hearings in Intelsat, Tailored Brands, and Frontier. And just as 9 always follows 8, and Thursday is always followed by Friday. Friday, October 9th, includes an auction in Global Eagle and a DS hearing in Noble. And that's all from me. Thank you for listening. And now over to Connor for some parting words. Thank you, Jim. And thank you all listeners for tuning in to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find our podcasts on the reorg.com media page iTunes, and SoundCloud. As always, we hope you and your families are healthy and safe. I'm Connor Skilton.